I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today on An Actor Despairs, we have an incredibly exciting episode with an actor who I truly love and I've been wanting to talk to for so long, Mark O'Brien. You know him from projects like Arrival, The Front Runner, City on a Hill, and we're here to talk about his new film, Blue Bayou, and the film that he directed and wrote, The Righteous. He's incredible. He's a true filmmaker, an actor, a writer. He does it all, and I really look up to him. He's a real hero of mine, and it meant so much that he took the time to come on, give back, and talk about his journey and how this wide-eyed, dreamy kid from Canada made it all happen. Mark, I love you, brother. To the future. Mark O'Brien, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good, man. Nice to see you. It's great to see you, man. We were just briefly talking uh, with a mutual friend, Tom Fontana, who was the second guest I ever. Dean Winters was the first. That he was oh, was that second. right? Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, 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 man. And dude, Jimmy Ryan, like you were so good in that role, man. You know, like it, it, especially you know, any honest actor will tell you, you know, when you see an actor that that goes up for roles that you kind of are somewhat in the right for, you, you always kind of have that. Little bit of an honest one, but dude, you're fucking incredible, bro. I mean, you oh, are thanks. you are electric, man. I mean, you, you you make incredible choices, and I've learned so much from watching your your work, and and especially now getting a chance to watch some of your directing work. Like, dude, you are a motherfucking unstoppable force. <laughs> wow, wow! Uh, I, thank I, you very much. I, I want to be involved in whatever's next, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what but, I look in the mirror and tell myself every morning. So yeah. Else. Oh, it's all true. This is, just pretend I'm a mirror, man. Yeah. And, <laughs> but uh, dude, let's start from the beginning. You grew up in Canada, right? Yeah. So I'm from Newfoundland, which is like the far east coast of Canada, um, uh, which it's a very artistic place. There's only like 500,000 people there, but it's the size of California. So very spread out, but everyone there was in the arts in some sort of way. And I um, wasn't at all. I have three older sisters who were like, really, they were into musical theater and stuff like that. My parents were not artists and uh, I wanted to be a hockey player. So oh. that's 
all I focused on. Um, and then I realized I was too lazy to ever make it far enough. Um, was and, the hockey uh, thing like a, not trying to sound like racist or stereotype? But was that just no. a Canadian thing? You know that dude. It's yeah, well, it's like, yeah. You know, it's like football in the states or yeah. soccer in England. Like it's yeah, like, it's the thing, man. Like you're exactly right. Like you kind of don't have a choice because yeah. it's just what you see so much around you so often is hockey, and yeah. I hated it. I hated it. My dad put me in it because, like, you know, your parents are trying things out. Of course. I, I, when you're a kid, I was seven, and I was like, I was like, I don't know how to do this shit. And also, hockey is the hardest sport to learn that I've ever tried. Oh, it's my God. Impossible. Skating's yes, impossible. Back, yeah. Stick handling, shooting, backhand or slap shots. There's so much. Fighting. And I, <laughs> sorry, what? Fighting on ice, you know Fighting what I mean? <laughs> impossible. It is literally an impossible sport. And I remember the first day I went, I was seven years old. I remember clinging to the boards the whole time because I couldn't fucking skate. And my dad was on the ice. He was like one of the parents helping out. And he was a good skater. And he was like, I remember him coming over. and I was crying. And I said, I have to go home. I have to go home. I have to go home. And I don't know. And then I, I blacked out, I guess, for the next two years. Because I don't know why I kept going back. Because my parents were never like pushed too hard on anything. I guess I liked the challenge at, at an early age because I don't know why I kept going back because I remember that first time and then I can't remember anything else except already knowing how to skate, which must have taken me a couple of years. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up, man. I've kind of been dealing with some, like, I don't want to say repressed because that makes it sound like there's trauma, but just like childhood memories that like, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Someone was bringing something the other day. I was like, I don't remember that at all. You know what I yeah. mean? It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Like what were they doing between seven and nine? I literally don't know. Well, it's, it, and 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 I'm, it's so cool you're from there because I've had a lot of Canadian actors, but nobody from there. So, what's it like growing up in such a small place? Like, what you know? Now we live was, in a content bubble where you have Apple TV, YouTube. It's like, crazy. I had thirteen channels. There was what, thirteen channels. We had the it like yeah. TV where you click it over, and um, and American very, ones or all, all Canadian ones. We had NBC and ABC and CBS. And then it was the rest was uh, like uh, Canadian networks. Yeah. I oh, remember cool. having NBC, CBC, uh, NBC, ABC, and CBS. And I feel like maybe one more. No, that's it. Because it was a, maybe Fox. No, Fox was later. Um, so I remember it was that. It was 13 channels. And where I lived, there were probably, I mean, it was a huge. Now it's like 40,000 people. At the time, there were like five or 6,000. There was a place called Paradise. Newfoundland was the name of it. Wow. And like I could, the Atlantic Ocean was right there. Literally like. 200 feet outside my window and and across the water is England. You know what I mean? So uh, I I remember all I did every day was play hockey and basketball and baseball and stuff. And and I used to draw a lot, but, but I was bored. I honestly was bored a lot. Newfoundland's like, I'm a proud Newfoundlander. I love going back there, but growing up in paradise in a small place, I, I, I I was kind of, kind of bored. And I think it's because I probably hadn't found my passion yet. Yeah, because I, I was young and, and like my good friends were close by, but it was still like a bit of a drive to get there. Because so it's a rural I'm, community. Yeah, kind of. It's just kind of small, yeah. right? And then like so, and eventually I made some friends that were closer and stuff. But I, I just remember like I. It's funny how you still are the way you are. Like when you're younger and when you're older. Like I hated just sitting around doing nothing. I hated. I hated today. I hated it then. Yeah. And. Um, and then, like, when I started speaking high of school, the pandemic, dude, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, I just, dude, I bought a house during the pandemic. I was like, I gotta do something, yeah, way to go, <laughs> I gotta go somewhere else, yeah, um, because I just couldn't do it. And then, like, yeah. 
And then honestly, me and my buddies used to make movies with um, with camcorders. One of my buddies' parents had a camcorder. It was like ninety seven or ninety eight. Oh, and so we, was the Righteous pandemic movie? The Righteous was just before twenty nineteen. Oh, okay. Got we it. wrapped in December yeah. twenty nineteen. Just got out of it. You got it. But that's what it was like growing up home. But it was like everyone like Newfoundlanders are, the, are so fun, so gregarious, and everything. And you really appreciate your home much much more once you leave. Uh, but I did appreciate it at the time. But I think. The thing I wanted wasn't really available to me. There's an artistic community there, but I wasn't part of it because my family wasn't really in the arts. I mean, my sister's like singing and stuff, but like I wasn't exposed to it until it's funny enough because behind you have the Marla Singer, uh, Helena Baum Carter. Um, yeah. Uh, still, when I saw Fight Club, I saw Fight Club and then I was like, I want to be, I want to be involved. Right in above that movie. is. Oh, there we go. Tyler Durden, baby. <laughs> the greatest male yeah. body of all time. Only after we lose everything are we free to do anything. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. His name was Robert Paulson. Yeah. So I got to tell you a quick story, actually, aside from that. I'm shooting this series called 61st Street right now with AMC. Yeah. I'm shooting with Holt McCallany. Oh, dude. Was, nice. He was supposed exactly. to do the show. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's amazing. Yeah. He was in Fight Club. He was in Alien 3. And he was in Mindhunter. So he's a good friend of David Fincher. And the first day I met him, this is only like uh, three months ago. First day I met him. Uh, he's so nice. He's wonderful. He's a fantastic actor. I was really excited to work with him because we have a lot of stuff together on the show. And so he picks me up. We're in Chicago. He picks me up and uh, he's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? And that's kind of the way. Oh, perfect voice. Yeah. He's such a man. You know, and I'm like, oh, my God. And uh, and then we're talking and I say, listen, I'm going to end up talking about David Fincher a lot and asking you a lot of questions. He's like, not a problem, buddy, not a problem. But I don't know him, and I don't know if this is, maybe he doesn't want to talk about it, because so many people probably want to talk about Fincher with him, and then Jeff Mindhunter just happened, and and I'm like, I hope that's okay. Like, you never know, right? Then we, he and I go to a gym together. I don't know why. We go to a gym together, and then he drops me back, and we're going to have dinner later. When we go to dinner, I see him at the restaurant, and he's wearing a T-shirt that says, his name is Robert Paul. <laughs> And I was like, well, I guess it's okay to talk about it. Uh, it was amazing. And he loves talking about it. And it's like, in the best way. Like, he's oh, excited dude. and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I saw Fight Club. I was just like, man, I want to make movies, man. Yeah, And, and was that a, a cinema or a DVD experience? No, I saw, I saw it in theater. I don't know how I was allowed to see it. I was 15. But uh, I, I guess it was it – was, remember it used to be AA, adult accompaniment? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, like PG, PG-13, AA, and R. My dad was so cool. He used to like when kids couldn't get in, he'd be like, they're with me. And there was nothing they could say. <laughs> so my dad was like the resident cool movie guy. I'm just like, it's like a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah, parents see, hated like, him. Like yeah. saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, he's with me. It's cool. Oh, man. I'll tell him to close his eyes. Yeah, dude. That's. A, I'll tell you a quick funny story. I met, you ever see the, it's not a great movie, but Studio 54. Oh, the one with Mike Myers? That, yeah, Mike Myers and Ryan Philippi. So my yeah, parents yeah. were divorced and hated each other, that, you know, most of their lives. It's sort of cool now, but they got divorced it too. And the only childhood memory I have of my parents together is they took me to see Studio 54. That's so and, weird. And somebody behind us, this couple, they're like, um, excuse me, you know this movie has to deal with like cocaine and sex. And they, <laughs> they just turn around, they go, fuck you, you fucking, you know? And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. That's amazing. You know what? Mike Mars is great in that. Dude. There's that scene where he's like, come on, to Ryan Phillippe wants him to oh show Oh, my God, dude. He's incredible in that I movie. wanted more of that, Mike Myers, and less of the guru, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't love, you love guru? Yeah. Um, what a oh, transcendent uh, film. Uh, no, but uh, that's so funny. So, yeah, I remember going to see that. 
And we would go see, and then I started seeing movies all the time. It was like movies, 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 movies. And then we would make movies where we would have two VCRs and you'd set one up and press record on one and play on the other. And, and then, and that's, and that's this what we did. This is mini DV. These are the bigger tapes, right? These were, no, it was mini DV. Mini, oh yeah, I had a mini DV. That right? we transfer to a VHS and then the VHS to the other VHS. That was the only way we could edit at the time. And we would do it all the time. Oh, because that's you didn't have doing. a laptop. Exactly. This was 98, oh, 99, 2000. Shit. See, so got, we would, no editing equipment, no, no computer editing software. My it school was crazy. district did something really, we're like the same age, did something really cool where they gave us iBooks. Like before MacBook Pro, they had a thing called iBook. So wow. like, so when we were kids in 99, we had these like Apple computers. I think it, was, it must have been right before Steve Jobs came back. Oh my and, God. And so we, I, I got to know iMovie really young. Oh my god! I didn't yeah. know I moved until like 2009. Oh <laughs> like, nice! <laughs> yeah, I was like just trying to find some way to edit something. Well, dude, you're, you're, that's why you're so much more skilled than me. I was spoiled. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was like anything I could find. Like if I could find a Steenbeck, I would have been using it back then because we had nothing else. So as you were seeing these films, you know, and obviously Chuck Palahniuk, David Fincher, you know, what was the thing that I don't want to say. Yeah, maybe style. Like, what was uh, what was resonating with you? Like, what were you when you were making films? What were you trying to do? We were trying to uh, like I, I, I. It's always been a David Fincher, really. It was like I, I, I just because you didn't know directors. That's when I started to know directors. Got and it. and then like and now I still do it. There's so many directors you discover, and you're like, oh my god, I haven't seen any J. Lee Thompson films, and like, yeah. or I haven't seen any Joseph Losey films. And you go down the, the rabbit hole and you watch all of them. Hirosawa, and, and then you just get here, yeah. yeah. So, dude, I, my mind exploded. I think it was like I was talking about. I was growing up, lovely childhood, really close to my sisters, close to my parents. Loved playing hockey. Didn't have the dedication for it. But then when movies happened, I was like, oh my god, like. There's so many movies to discover. And I just went off. So around yeah. 98, 99, 2000, 2001, I was just like, I got to see like every Ridley Scott movie now. And I have to do this. So, but really for me, I think the thing that really, the, the director was, it was Fincher and then it was Hitchcock, really. It was like, because yeah. once I discovered Hitchcock, I was like, oh my Psycho God. Psycho or Ver- Vertigo? Usually it's one of those two. Or all. Psycho was the first one I saw. Yeah, that was yeah. the first one I saw. Because that was the famous one, right? You always start with the famous one. Did you have the quintessential, you know, blockbuster experience? Yeah. Or, oh, awesome. And I was like, obsessed with I'm yeah. still a collector of movies. And so I the previously owned, and I could buy them. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, like, for like five bucks, right? For like yeah. five bucks. It was yeah. I'd go in and raid the store. And I used to look up when movies would be released on DVD. And then I'd be like, and about a month and a half after its release is when I can go get the previously owned one at, at, at uh, Blockbuster. That's awesome. Dude. Like I used to... Break Our childhoods are the on, same, minus the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's so I'm rad. Walking out, being like, "What a haul I got! Like this is crazy." They're just giving them away. <laughs> well, obviously, your parents noticed you probably with a big camera and, and editing on VHS. At, at what point do you kind of go to them and and you're like, "Mom, Dad, I, I I'm I'm really into this thing," you know, like or did that did that never happen till later? You know, t- it, t- it kind of happened really naturally because my parents were really cool in the way that. This almost sounds negative, but it's a positive. There was nothing they encouraged me to not do, and there was nothing they encouraged me to do. Oh. It was just like, he'll just figure it out, I guess. And I went to university. I studied English, uh, English literature. I got it. I finished my degree. Where at, if you don't mind, for the, those, 
It, for those in Memori- Memorial University in Newfoundland. Oh, so oh, I was cool, in Newfoundland. Cool. So it's the biggest university on the East Coast of Canada. And it was a great place to study. And, and it was at home. And all my friends were there. And I loved studying stories and, and, and stuff like that. And I did like a diploma program at the same time. So I'd be in school for a while there. And then I hosted a kid's show um, for a little while in a, like a Canadian thing, like in between shows. And I was doing that. And I was working at the library at university. And then I, I did my regular course load all day. And then at night I did my diploma course load, which was my diploma was in performance and comedia, uh, uh, performance. And uh, uh, sorry, what was it? Performance and communications media. I don't know why they call it that. Got it. it was getting to know camera and theater at the same time. And so I do that at night. And so, and then make movies on the weekend. So I literally was like 15 hours a day all the time. So when I started actually acting in movies and you work for 15 hours, I was used to it. I was like, man, that's what I just did for four years. Oh, so your stamina was incredible. So I was used to it. And yeah. so with my parents, it happened. It was all kind of happening at the same time. And I was like, my goal was always to save up and move to Toronto because Toronto was the big city. Right. And yeah. I was like, I got to get to Toronto and that's where I'll get in like movies and stuff. And, and was this before up, Vancouver really had the film scene? Yeah, it, kind yeah, of, kind yeah, of. It was yeah. like kind of bubbling then. and and Because uh, now it's a I bit more park. binary, right? It's like you do Toronto or you do Vancouver, right? That's exactly. That's yeah. exactly. Depending on what coast you're kind of born on. So I was born on yeah. East Coast, so Toronto was the place to go. If I was born in Calgary, I probably would have went to Vancouver. And, and so, I guess Montreal is an exception. Sorry, I'm not for those Montreal has, a, yeah. has an amazing yeah. amount of things, but a lot of them are French. Yeah, so, Xavier Dolan, you know. Exactly. Yeah, Denis yeah, Villeneuve, Jean-Marc yeah. Vallée, like, yeah. and on and on and on. There's so many, but but they, well, they're French films. So I was like, that's not really the place to go. Uh, so it was Toronto. And then I ended up booking a show, a miniseries called Above and Beyond, that shot in Newfoundland. And it was a $10 million miniseries about World War II, and I had a pretty good part. And that was enough to get me, like, my first agent and stuff. But wow. it was... Um, it, 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 and I'd done the kids show before that. So, I mean, it was really one step at a time. I mean, that's the thing I've learned more than anything is that it's, it's really one step at a time. It's brick by brick. And it's like, there is no destination because it, 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 it's, it's always changing all the, all the time yeah. anyway. And like, and that's why when it's like, my parents didn't even really notice because it was happening so slowly. And then I started hosting a kid show and then I got the miniseries like, Oh, Mark's in a movie. Okay, cool. And now Mark's moving to Toronto and now I'm trying this thing. And now I'm, and then I got no work in Toronto and it was absolutely terrible for a few years. And, and then I got a show that shot back in Newfoundland. So I went back there, but then I couldn't get any other work. So every time there's something great, it kind of lets you see the peak of the, the mountain a little bit. So you're like, everything's great, but I want that thing. And that's yeah. What I to get to. And the never ending moving goalposts, dude. It's, it's, it's never ending, but if it yeah. was, but if I, if you have a goal and you get there, then you have nothing to work for. So yeah. it's, a, it's a beautiful thing at the same time. And so while you were at school, were you doing any kind of acting classes? Oh, nonstop. I was, I, I did everything I get my hands on. Like I was in acting class at night there with the diploma program. We had an acting Got class. it. Okay. Got it. So that was two nights a week, three hours each set. So six hours a week. And at the same time I was doing local theater. And I remember my buddy, one of my buddies was like- Local, not beating all, off campus or on campus? It was, uh, sorry, local as in, it was in Newfoundland. Got it. But it was off campus. It had nothing it. to do with okay. university. Okay. So I had to find time to go to that. And I mean, I started my first, this is how hard it is for actors starting out. It's like, you kind of have these dreams like, I'm going to get this big role or something like that. My first thing I did on stage was a play called Bye Bye Birdie, which is the- Oh, Bye dude, Bye the idea, I did it. I was like, 
the guy who can't sing and I had one <laughs> I was reporter number two. Oh, so we had the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I was reporter number two and I had to sing in the chorus and I can't sing. Me and either. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. You you're like going in and you're kind of- And I had to do the, da- the dance move. <laughs> Dude, the whole thing is so hard. It was embarrassing. I was like, yeah. I don't to do any of this. And I would mime singing all the time. And it was fucking Yeah, you brutal. quiet sing, so you think the chorus makes up for you. <laughs> exactly. You're like, no one's really noticing yeah. But then, like, sometimes you go to the male chorus rehearsal, and there's only four of you there. And you're like, I can't fucking blend in with this. I shit. know. Like, oh, God. I had a chorus teacher that was like, dude, you suck. I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I told you this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, just don't have me sing. Am yeah. I adding anything to yeah. this chorus? Oh, God. But it's like, that's where you, you start, you know, so... So I was doing everything I could. I remember one of my buddies was like, oh, man, how much are you getting paid for that play? I was like, nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I didn't get paid for anything for years. Like, you don't start out getting $50,000 or something. He was like, man, I'd never do that. I was like, well, I don't know. That's how you start. You know what yeah. I mean? What? So it was very intense and it was all for very little. But I think even at the time I knew I was like, I'm building something. And also when you have an excitement to learn, I was like, I'm learning. I know I'm learning, which still is obviously today. And it's like, you, you, when you're aware that you're learning, it takes the burden off the lack of money or the lack of glory yeah. because you're like, oh man, I just learned something really important, which happens, which uh, for me, as my career has gone on, it happens even more so because you're even more aware of how much I don't know, totally. um, which you are as a person too. So it's it's actually this wonderful blessing to keep to keep being burdened <laughs> because yeah. each time you do, I learn more each time that it's, that it's hard than I do when it's good. Yeah. Which kind of brings it back to fight club is like becoming this apprentice to learn this skill, to do this thing, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so I'm, I'm, I'm really curious while you were there, you know, I don't know the Canadian market as well. So tell me we're, we're casting or any of those kind of people coming to your shows or classes. Nothing. Nothing. Wow. So there was, I remember there was one or two local directors who saw me in another play and put me in a play. And I, and I was like, Oh my God, that was the first time I was like, Oh, I think I'm doing an okay job. Cause I was always pretty confident, but I was also like, I don't know how good I am, but I feel like I'm doing what I can, what I can. Yeah. As opposed to like uh, being the best. It's like, this is as good as it felt good. And, and that was as far as it went. And then, and then I hosted this, this kid's show for two years which I started out being like, oh my God, cool, I'm on TV. And then I hated it more than anything because I wanted yeah. to be a serious actor. Yeah. And I was like, I'm doing zero to five years old. Like, hi, kids. Blues Clues style, yeah. Yeah, yeah. right down, looking into the camera. And I, and I just, it was really soul-sucking for me after a while. It was wonderful people I worked with, but... How did you get out of it? To, to be honest, um, I was let go because there was a play I wanted to do at the time. And the head of the network... This woman, who shall remain nameless, but I have no contact with her since, and, and she was very, very uh, inconsiderate. She, I remember I wanted to do this play, and she was like, well, there's some adult content in that. And I said, it wasn't that bad, by the way. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, I wasn't doing- Red like, light you know, winter. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It was like, yeah, I was like, it's not that bad, and they wouldn't let me do it. And I remember my contract was ending in like a month. And I got on the phone with her, and I didn't have an agent at the time. And I said, look, I have to do this play. I, I have to do it outside of doing this kid show work. I have to do this play. It means a lot to me. I'm trying to, you know, build my career. I'm about 22 at the time. And, uh, and she was like, no. And I said, okay, are you going to renew my contract in a month? Because there's been no talk of that. And like, you know, yeah. are you going to renew my contract? And like I said, I didn't have an agent. 
And she said, uh, absolutely. And so I felt beholden to the show, to the kid show. I was like, I should do it. That's, you know, I said I would be on this show. Okay, I'll, I'll not do the play. They didn't renew my contract and let me go. And it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me, but it goes to show those things that happened. Wait, did you, did like, that fuck you from the play? Oh, yeah, the play was already done. It was too late. It was too what? late. I needed to know, let them know about the play rehearsals were starting in like a couple weeks. And my contract was in like a month, month and a half. I am going to hunt this girl down and send her some fake Oh, I haven't shit. forgot her name. Oh. I, I haven't forgot. And I was like, and she was, the way she handled it was really, really crappy too. Who so does that? Oh. I know. It was, it was absolutely awful. I was like, ah, man, that's just so like, you know, I'm so terrible. sorry, Mark, man. Fuck Yeah. Her. Well, but it's the greatest thing. I hope she's listening now. Cause fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. She knows who she is. And fuck you. Right. Yeah. And like, uh, it was just, I like at the time, because it was my source of income and I was going to move to Toronto. Yeah. I was like, this is my money I'm making. Because I didn't make a ton of money, but pretty good for like a 21-year-old. Better so than like, tables, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I had to go yeah. to Toronto and wait tables right away because I was like, well, I, I didn't, I thought I was going to do that for another little while and then move to Toronto. And then I moved to Toronto and did not work at all for like two or three years. Absolutely nothing. And uh, and I was like, I had no money. I went completely into debt. And, and I had student loans at the same time. I paid through all my university. So... I was like, I'm like 40, 50 grand into debt and I'm making nothing and not booking any work. So it was, that was like the start of a really hard stretch. That was like, well, if you don't brutal. mind, you know, cause I, I, I love that you shared that and thank you for doing that. A lot of actors listening, particularly now, you know, still coming out of a pandemic, maybe God forbid about to dive into something kind of weird again with this Delta thing or dealing with exactly that. So how did yeah. you buoy yourself during that time? Do you know what I did? I made my own short films. I wrote my own stuff. I rented the camera, put it on a credit card. Like I said, I was broke, 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 broke. And back then, now there's no excuse because it's like I had to rent a camera. I didn't have a camera yeah. on the phone at the time. This was the I had the Razor phone. That's what time period. Oh about. God, I remember so that there was, one. Too. There was no video. Yeah. So I was like, I couldn't make a movie. So I would rent a camera from like an audio visual production house, write a script, and shoot it with my friends. And I did that over and over and over and over and over and over. And the biggest thing I learned from that, and during the pandemic, I mean, I have a three and a half year old, I still wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And it's like the reason why not every actor has to be a writer, but there are ways to hone your skills. And when I was writing all those shorts that never got into any festivals, by the way, completely rejected from wow. everywhere, anything I made during that period, complete rejection. And not getting any work on top of it. So it was like literally 100% rejection across the board. And so, but what I learned was when you write and direct your own stuff, even if you don't want to be a director, when I'm on set now, I have such an understanding of that camera and what they're doing and it affects your performance. Because I, I don't believe in when actors go in, they're like, I'm just a character. I don't care about the technical qualities. It's like, well, good luck, motherfucker, because it is a technical medium. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's going to be tough if you don't understand that you're not in the shot when you're supposed to be, you're not in your light or the camera is moving around you and, and you can dance with that camera a little bit in certain ways while still being in character. I think yeah. that's your job. So when someone's like, don't tell me what the camera's doing, I'm like, you know, maybe you should know a bit more about that because yeah. you're working at a camera's medium job. So anyway, so I learned so much about that then that, that like you understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I talked to a director recently who said, uh, she said, I, I don't like, and I said, I love to know the coverage when we do a scene. When we start to do a scene, I love to know the way you're shooting it. And she was like, oh, I don't like actors who save it for the close-up. I was like, I never save anything for the close-up. Yeah. But it's helpful to know the way you're shooting it. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it just is helpful in whatever way that works within, I think, most actors' brains. I think it's really helpful to tell people that. So anytime I've directed, I try and tell people that. I'm like, here's here's the way we're going to show Unless they specifically don't want to know. That, that's up to them. But I never believe in that saving a performance kind of thing. If you know the camera well, which you should, yeah, um, you're going to probably give a better performance. And know where your stamina lies. Because you might go into a scene thinking they're going to do it in one, and it's only going to take an hour, and it takes five. And what happens then? You're gassed at the end of it. You're pissed right. off. You blew Why your load early. Yeah. Why are you doing more coverage? Why are you doing all this? Whereas if you knew it to begin with, it's just like getting on a plane. If you get on a flight that you think is an hour and it turns into five, you're fucking pissed. Yeah. But if it's five and it ends up being 440, you're fucking Yeah. <laughs> well, we saved 20 minutes. That's awesome, man. And, and I'm curious, you know, do you feel like even though they didn't get any short films and they didn't get you at the Oscars shorts or L.A. shorts even – you working those waiting table jobs and doing that, but just having that creative outlet is what kept you sane during those three years. 100%. And I'll even tell you this. I worked as a theater usher at one point while they were doing dirty dancing, the musical. And it was three goddamn hours long. And I had to stand in the theater and watch it every night. And even just watching that, I remember watching the way Everyone, every single character, and, and, and I just studied them, and, I, and some of them were good, and some of them were bad. Yeah, and it was actually, I actually thought it was a pretty decent show to be honest, but I was like, just studied the whole thing. I was like, oh, that's kind of how you do it, and this guy kind of stepped out a little bit while he was going off. This guy's too much, like, it's just study, 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 study. And I remember one day, this, this is the thing that stuck with me the most during that, um, when I was working as the usher. Um, there were like 20 of us, by the way, it was a huge theater, um, and uh. And I remember there was a guy in the chorus, a dancer, and I remember him, I remember walking into the theater one day and seeing him talking to someone outside, like he showed up, he was about to get ready and stuff. And I remember him saying to the person he was talking to on the street, saying, anyway, I got to go, I got to go to work. And I was like thinking, it's so cool that that guy's work is this job. And he was just in the chorus. And I was like, that is so cool for him. And that's what I think about anytime I complain on set or complain when I'm off set. I'm like, I'm working as an actor right now. Yeah. That is so cool. And I think about that guy all the time. I mean, that was 15 years ago. And I still think about that all the time. God, dude, I love your fucking energy. I'm so glad we met, man. I needed this today. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I know, God. Do you do classes? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Uh, You make it drunk and I can snort? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, dude, that's so rad, man. And and I'm curious because, like, any honest actor will tell you, you know, when you start this journey, you know, obviously – experiences like fight club and psycho it's like hollywood 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 but as you start to go on i love what you just said about the course guy it starts becoming like god you know waiting tables for three years it would just be so cool to to have a job doing what i love and and make money and not have to do this so as you started to struggle do you feel like it was just like God, it would just be cool to get an episode of a show or, you know what I mean? It went this, I yeah. went like this. The goal was to, like, I thought I was going to arrive in Toronto and be in the lead of a movie. That's what yeah. I thought. That's what a lot of people, I think, kind of think at some point. So I was like, yeah, that's going to happen. Then nothing happened for such a long time that then I, I had to get a job after, like, a, a month or something. So I got a job as a, as a, as a, um, um, a server, and I remember being like, I just want to make enough money so I don't have to be a waiter. Yeah. And then after months and months and months passed, a year or two or whatever, I remember thinking, 
I just want to make enough money so I don't have to do this five, four or five times a week. If I just had to do this once or twice a week, I would die happy. Yeah. I was like, I'd be so happy to just do this once or twice a week. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where it went. And it's like, and that's the stuff you, you got to remember because we are lucky. And the other thing is too, it's like, and then when you start getting smaller roles and stuff and after having directed a film and after what I, I watch so many films, I watch a movie every morning, the one line is so important, especially when you make a movie and you're like, I've been in stuff where I'm like, ah, that director doesn't remember me. I'm like, well, I directed a movie and I remember every background movement. I'm like, I like how that guy tapped his knee just there. Like you yeah. don't forget it. And as an audience member, you are taken out of a movie so quickly when, so my wife and I, she hadn't seen Uncut Gems yet. We watched it last night. You've seen it? Have you seen it? I haven't. I've been saving it for... Oh, dude, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a good save. Well, yeah, it's yeah, Criterion's yeah. Really I'm, I, I love Good Time, and I, I but like I heard that one's a dark one, and to just be honest, my name is... My podcast called Accurate Despairs. <laughs> I've ended in a dark place. So I'm like, yeah. let me save that for like a day there's a rainbow out, and... It's uh, pretty... It's, yeah. pretty, it's a good idea. It's yeah, pretty yeah. dark <laughs> and, and nerve-wracking. Uh, yeah. But uh, there's, there's one... There's a, a woman in that who has two little tiny scenes where she's a receptionist, and last night, me and my wife were talking about her so much. She was like, man, she's good. Isn't she good? She's like, six lines. And I, I was like, who is that? I, I looked her up. I had to look up who it was. I can't remember her name now. But I always call that the Ben Mendelsohn place beyond the pines. You know, did you see it? Yes. Yeah, who's you know, that like, guy? like, that guy. I want a movie about him, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Yeah. It brings so much to it. And, and, yeah. and I remember thinking that, that it was like slumming it or something to be a small role. And it's like, no, man, like, every role. And, and good directors care so much yeah. who has even like two lines in their movie. They're like, well, I really care. Cause I wrote them. <laughs> dude. I, I'm not just saying this. You're one of those actors, man. Everything I've seen you do, you, you make choices and you, 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 you know what you're doing and it, to exist in whether it's the, you know, you're in every scene and something like season one of, of, uh, Tom show city on a hill or yeah. Or, or, or something like a rival, you know what I mean? Where you're with two of the biggest actors in the world. Just you're brilliant, dude. And oh, thanks, this leads me into my question of, of finding your voice. Is that something that you felt like happened while making your films and while struggling or did that not happen until you started working or was it a amalgamation of both? I think it was, I think it was like, as you work, like I didn't want to go to, um, I never wanted to go to theater school. Because I was like, I feel confident enough. Like, I, I, I told the story a lot, but I, I got interested in acting by watching Edward Norton in Primal Fear. So, yeah. obviously, Edward Norton had a big effect on me because then I saw Fight Club and blah, blah, blah. But I was like, I want to know who that actor is. I've never, because at that time, yeah, you know, Denzel Washington is and Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. But I was like, I, don't, I never heard of this guy. Like, who, he's really good at acting. I never really thought about that before. And so, for me, it was, it was a, a like, that really spurred something on for me. And, but, and, and I knew, I was like, he's just a guy who's doing it. I'm a guy who could just go do it. What's the difference between me and him? Circumstance, everybody's either got a great, everyone's got a, like, better than someone else or not as good as someone else. Everyone is born in, in, in somewhere different than the other person. So to say I'm at a disadvantage because I'm not born in New York City or something like that, but I have an advantage. I'm actually born in Newfoundland where there's not as many people and there's an artistic community that wants to support people yeah. that I can go and just do it. So I'm going to take advantage in a different way. And why can't I be as good as him? 
And so that gave me like a confidence of, it was a logical confidence. It wasn't like a, a bravura that I had or bravado that I had. It was, it was like, that's just logical though. Why couldn't that person be as good as that thing as that other person standing next to them? Yeah. In, in a different way. And so I, I was like, so I always felt confident. And then I started to find my voice a bit. I think I did this Canadian series called Republic of Doyle for six years. It was sort of an action comedy kind of show. And I played sort of the comedic relief of the show. And I, and I really embraced it and really loved every minute of it. But I think during, in the last few seasons, I started to realize the parts of the character I liked. But then I started to realize, like, I've played this thing so long in six seasons that it really opened me up to the kind of work I want to do. Yeah. And a lot of that work I want to do was within that show at the time. But it was like, I think from doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over, it just made me, it just really helped. And then I moved to LA and, and I kind of knew what I wanted. I knew the people I wanted to work with because you have a similarity with people too. Like if I watch, if me and Jimmy Joe, the filmmaker, sit down and watch all the same movies, I'm an actor, he's a director, and we have watched all the same movies separately. And I go in an audition for him and his script is kind of like all those movies. Yeah. I kind of know what they're looking for in an indescribable kind of way. Totally. Because you're on the same page tonally and your yeah. voice is very similar. Yeah. And I realized that early on. I was like, well, I just need to study the hell out of the people that I admire. Yeah. And I want to work with people who make those kinds of things. Yeah. And, and I've actually found that to be, because it's a weird notion, but I've actually found it to be um, helpful for me, if not successful, but, but certainly helpful to think about it that way. Well, and, and, and being as talented as you are and go in the other direction, you know, and this is the thing that I think all actors and, and even myself, how do you be good in something that's not great? Like, you know, because you're so lucky if you get a job that like you kind of like starting out, you know, most of the time it's years of doing things you don't like until you yeah. get, get a co-star or a guest star in something that you it's like. It's the greatest learning lesson. Yeah. Doing something that's not good. Yeah. And, and every actor has done stuff that's not good. And and that's the greatest learning lesson because when you go from something that is not good and then you and then I got and then you get to go work on something that's that's great. It's kind of like, you know, um, Holt McCallany said this to me recently when we talked about Mindhunter. He said, I was given a tuxedo and taken to the greatest ball on earth and seated down to have a Michelin star meal. And all I had to do was not spill it on me. That's what Mindhunter was to him. <laughs> wow. And I love that because he's like, it's, it's there. You just have to eat the food. Yeah. And so when it's really great, you just got to eat the food. So, and that's great. That's wonderful. But you're not going to learn anything. Yeah. So the best is when it's like, I don't know my way around this. And the role I'm doing right now in 61st Street is a great role. I'm very excited about this show. And the challenge is the character is in it a lot. He's one of the leads of the show, but it's he doesn't talk as much. And for specific reasons, nothing physically holding him back, but it's like there's a lot going on and he doesn't speak as much. And I often play pretty extroverted characters a lot yeah. of times who have a lot to say. And so that's been the challenge. And it's like, what a great challenge to have. Like, yeah. what a what a gift as opposed to doing something that I've done already. It's so interesting because I'm actually, after this, I have to go learn something in sign language for an audition. So I'm doing it. There you with, go. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that's that's so interesting, man. And I'm, I'm curious then, when you moved to LA, what made you saw, you know, coming from the East Coast of Canada, what made you, just because of your agency, you went to LA versus New York? LA was, I'd been there a few times and it just felt like that was where the most was happening. 
Got it. And I just felt like, and I was always more interested in living in New York than LA, always, my whole life. Oh, like you Once were? that became an idea, always. Oh, wow. But LA just seemed like, I was like, it just seems like this is where the stuff's happening. And remember when we left Canada, um, not like a lot of people said this to me, but but I'd heard it around where it's like, oh, you're going to LA now. I was like, I'm not going to LA to abandon Canada. I'm going to cover as much ground as I possibly can. Yeah. And in fact, I've gone back and done two movies, two Canadian films that I'm very proud of. Goalie and Hammer were both Canadian. Love those films. And I wanted to cover as much ground. I felt like in LA, it's the place where most of the meetings happen and I can be in person for most of the auditions. Totally. And, and so it sort of made sense in, in, in that kind of way. And, and, and you know, I really linked up with a great manager and a great agent, and it just all made sense. It made sense. I, 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 you, an American one, you mean? Yeah. Or, yeah awesome. So I kept my. I have a Canadian agent still to this day because she's amazing, and she yeah. does just as much work as everyone else. So, so then I just added to the team. Love that, dude. That's so beautiful, man. And and you know, obviously, getting a visa and coming to America and doing that thing, and you know, you're married. Was that a trying transition for you? It, it's, it's, I got to tell you, man, getting get a visa is not easy. Like, you know, it, I, I shouldn't oh, say God. that because it's so hard for so many people, but I can only relate to my own experience. Yeah. And my own experience. I mean, it's funny because I, I just did Blue Bayou, which is all about this and how hard it is for other people. And I can't even imagine it because even for someone who, you know, I did grow up lucky. I grew up with a wonderful family yeah. who loved me and took care of me and was really protected and supported and all that kind of stuff. And moving to the States was relatively easy but within that realm it is very difficult it's still really a tedious process um but we worked really hard on it uh, myself my wife it was a very expensive process too so and the funny thing you hear is um you hear a lot from people um oh you're going down there do you have something lined up and you're like no nothing nothing yeah. i don't i have i've never and every canadian actor or australian actor or british actor wants to book their first american job totally. it's like a big it's a thing and I was like, I have nothing. We have no idea what's going to happen. And it was the same thing when I moved to Toronto. And it was yeah. again. So it's a scary thing, but I was I was so excited. I just couldn't wait. That's so beautiful, man. And and yeah. having that and, you know, doing, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's something doing it in a, a palm tree setting that is very soothing for the soul is yeah, as, so as like, tough ah. as LA can be, man. But that that's awesome. And and did you enjoy LA and start to find I, that? I first loved it right away. Yeah. I loved it right away. And look, I got to tell you, it was funny when we immigrated from, we were at Toronto at the airport because I lived in Toronto for years. And then when we got out, it was actually a blizzard that day. And it took a long time when you emigrate, you have to go into like another room. It's a whole thing. Like I said, it's a very, very long process. Yeah. I shouldn't say it's hard because there's so many people it's actually hard for, but it's long. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, it's long and detailed. So we were taken to another room and everything. then it was a huge storm. And then we were like, are we going to get out? And we had so many bags. We had a cat. We had the whole thing. And then when we got out, I felt like it was like the end of Argo. Like we were like hugging, like we, like we, made, it. Wow. we made it out. Because like, it was just like, it was, it was so crazy. And, um, and when we got here, I was just, I still feel like this. That was six and a half years ago. No, that was seven and a half years ago. And I still feel the excitement of LA being movie town. Wow. I still feel it. I just love it. It's, it's, a, it's a place for movies. And, and yeah. even though I know it's not as many things shoot here and stuff like that, but if you can be here and actually live here and support yourself and be able to audition stuff, that's fucking cool, man. Yeah. Like it it's is. just cool. It's a cool thing to drive to an audition in LA, no matter what it's for, no matter if you're going to get it or not, what a fucking cool position to be in. Yeah. 
That's so cool, Mark. I love that yeah. for you, man. And and talk, you know, because uh, I do want to get to Blue Bayou and and the Righteous, you know. Sure. With quickly, you know, something like City on a Hill, you know, like where you have an accent that's so particular and there's so many SNL and, and different sketches and yeah. of it and not getting lost in that. You're so incredible as that character, man. And Thanks, you didn't man. let the accent dictate the character. You just – you, you played it beautifully and he's a wild card and he's all over the place. And, but you, you, you didn't let the accent ruin you. And especially coming from Canada, you know, like talk to me about that because you were so fucking good in that, man. Oh, thanks man. I appreciate that. Um, it was, um, it's just honestly, like, I don't like acting class. Yeah. Here's why I don't like acting class. I don't not support acting classes. I don't like going to them myself for the reason that, I like to do it to do it. I like to do it where it exists. That's where I get excited. It exists on camera. We did it. Or you're in a play or whatever. But it's like, if we're talking about film and TV, it's like, we're making it now. I don't really want to practice making it. I, I just, I don't have the juice for it. I actually wish I did. Yeah. Uh, but I don't have the juice for that. The juice for me is watching so many movies. And it's not like I'm taking a character ever from a movie I watched because I'm not interested in that. But when you have that many ideas of story and of actors and characters and how they all meld together, yeah. I feel like that is the research. And same thing with an accent. When you've watched, you know, The Departed and Google Hunting and Mystic River and all the and Friends of Eddie Coyle and all these movies 10 billion times. And just like other accents, it's kind of just there. You're like, wow. oh, I think I can just tap into it. And then they're like little things that you just break. Obviously, there's the R's, but it's like, yeah. Like, it, to me, it was more like the O's and stuff. Like, it wouldn't say, I'm gone out. Or, where's he gone? You'd be like, where's he gone? Yeah. Gone. Like, you know yeah. I mean? it was It's like an those... A-H instead of an O, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lot... And we didn't have a dialect coach, actually. So you didn't? No, no. No one inserted. I didn't have one. No um, way. Dude, yeah. you deserve a fucking Golden Globe. I'm... <laughs> they, that's No wonder they're canceled. They didn't give you one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the accent award. Yeah. Um, no, we, we didn't. We didn't have. Uh, I don't know if anyone else did the production. I don't think I, I certainly didn't have one. And um, and it just it just felt comfortable. It was like I just heard that character's voice uh, in my head, and which is a bit higher than my actual voice, but higher pitched. So every time we do ADR, they were like higher pitched, and I was like, oh yeah, it is. Like I don't, I didn't notice it. Yeah. So if you don't focus on it, like I appreciate what you said about being like the accent doesn't dictate the character. If you don't focus on it so much then the accent, it's, it's all part of one. It's like the, the, the way they move informs the way they speak. And the way they speak informs the way they move. And that's so important as well. And it's the way their tics are and everything like that comes out naturally yeah. because you get the whole person as opposed to like planning technical things, which is something I would never be interested in doing. So for me, I, I think it just comes from a, a wealth of watching movies and seeing what works and what doesn't work in a way that is just, it's, it becomes ingrained in you. Like, you know, when you learn lessons and you're like, I'm going to remember that quote for the rest of my life. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, you don't, but you end up living by that quote because yeah. it becomes a part of you in a way that you can't describe in words. And, yeah. and, I, and I feel like that's what watching film is. And I'm always amazed when people are like, don't like are in the film business or directors and don't really watch movies. I'm like, you, your wealth of knowledge is right there. It's like, it's all right there. Especially <laughs> with an Apple TV stuff. now. You can have, you know, five yeah. million movies in yeah. one day. It's, 
it's all there. Like, yeah. it's, and it's just sitting in front of you. Like, just use that. Like, yeah. It's like that goodwill hunting, you know, you're going to rise. You paid for an education that you could have paid 50 cents for at the library. Yeah. In late times, <laughs> at the fucking local library. Yeah, yeah. You're there. <laughs> How do you like them fucking apples? Yeah, I read that too. Greatest scene of all time. Greatest scene of all time. Oh, God, dude. Scott Winters, Dean's brother. Yes, I know yeah. the ponytail. Yeah. Do you know what we found that out like two years ago? You, you didn't, did you meet him on like, City? Yes. You know what clicked? I was rewatching Google Hunting probably a few years ago for the 9,000th time. And I was like, God damn it, that guy looks like Dean Winters. It was not until then. And I was like, oh, it's Dean Winters' brother. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, well, it's... you'll be, and we'll be going on a ski trip and you'll be serving as other driver. Yeah. So good. So good. Dude, that's awesome, man. We'll talk. Yeah. We'll talk to me about Blue Bayou, and then we'll do the Righteous Man because that's sure. You know that, but that was at can, right? Yeah, yeah. Just it yeah, just can. And, and it, to to a good response, I think. Look, Justin Chan, the writer, director, star, and I think he was a producer on it as well. Is he's a beast, and this guy is just got so much heart and talent and and humanity to him. I met him. Um, before before the movie we just met and just got along right away and and it was and then it was just i was in the movie yeah and i love the script because it was so smart because it deals with immigration but to me what i get out of the film is is that it's actually more about the bureaucracy of immigration is so heartless and, and and not um judged on a case-by-case basis it's so hard to have these broad rules for anything and that's the thing I got from it. I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. Like, can't people make judgment calls? Yeah. It's like, it's like all these, these broad rules. And, and it was just so heartless. And so I was just excited to be part of that movie. I was so excited. And Alicia Vikander, obviously I'm a huge fan of hers. Oh, and, and I like the role too. I play Ace. I play a cop who's kind of like, you know, I, I really respect Justin for not just writing a cop who's just a piece of shit. Yeah. Because what, what's happening right now in the world, I don't think it's helpful at all to look at all cops as, as the enemy. No, uh, I'm doing a series. People doing complicated things. They're man. human beings, yeah. man. I just, I just did a ride along with cops in Chicago for this show for 61st street. Nicest guys in the world. What was Hard that? Like? I mean, Cook County. I mean, dude, that is dude. Really they were good. like going around South side Chicago. And, and these guys were like, we're just trying to do our jobs. And they, they like, you gotta, not every cop is the same. Yeah. Just like not every person you run into the street is the same. So to paint everyone with the same brush is dangerous. And I thought Justin did a really smart job of seeing the, the gray in between with the role. And that's what I liked. He's a guy who just wants to see his kid, wants yeah. to get his kid back. And, and at the same time, he's also kind of compromised too. Like yeah. It's it's a it's a tough position to be in, and I really like that he he showed that. You know, there's no Golden Globes this year, but you're gonna fucking go, dude. You're gonna be nominated, man. I know it. I feel it. I see it. I hope. Look, I'm pulling for Justin Alicia. Justin is like I said. I I, I couldn't think. I more love of, Justin of Alicia, but dude, I, I I love Mark, man. And there's nothing more I would love to see. And and I'm getting the uh, the heads up note. So you know, dude, you're gonna have to come back on that one. Let's jump in the righteous and then and then wrap it up. So sure. Talk to me about, you know, what, where, where did the idea for this one come from? Uh, well, uh, so this is the movie that I, I wrote and directed that I, um, I, I think, I, look, I've always been a, such a fan of Bergman uh, yeah. and Tarkovsky and, uh, and, and, the, old, and the, the great filmmaker, um, Carl Theodore Dreyer. And I, I, really liked, I really liked psychological horror yeah. because I think dread is, is so much more interesting than gore. And, um, and I wanted to make something 
and, and I love playing with surrealism. So to me, so really it's about an ex-priest who's facing the vengeance of a, of a wrathful God um, uh, after uh, a mysterious stranger shows up at his house. And it stars Henry Cherney, uh, who's great, who's back in the new Mission Impossibles. Uh, he, remember, he was in um, the first one, Kittredge. Yeah. Um, and he was in Ready or Not. He played my dad. Anyway, so, and he's been a million other things. I don't know why I'm trying to pitch. People know who he is. And, uh, and Mimi Kuzik, a, a, a great actress, and myself. And great actor. He, and, and look, it's, it's, it's about this man trying to deal with something from his past and it has a surreal touch to it too, but it's, it's, I would categorize it as a psychological horror yeah. because it's that feeling of something that's beneath it all that you don't know how to deal with while we're kind of doing, I, I kind of want to do like a, a sort of, not plot book conceit we're used for, we're used to where a mysterious stranger shows up and what's he going to do, yeah. but turning that on its head. So that's not what you think it's going to be. And you don't know what it's going to be. And at the same time playing with tone and genre. So it's changing every few minutes. Yeah. Um, and that was really important to me to do something like that. Well, dude, um, it's so fucking good uh, for the world listening right now. You know, when can we see both of these? I want to plug them. When blue Bayou is in September, what September about the 17th. What, what the Righteous right? premieres at Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal uh, on August have, 15th. Do you have distribution yet or not Not yet? We do. We have a distributor in Canada, Vortex, and they're, I don't know where, I don't know where it's going outside it. of, but I'm very pleased to premiere at Fantasia. That's where Ready or Not premiered. Dude, Fantasia's um, the best, man. It's a and, great it's a festival. Great home for it. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see where it goes from there. And you know what? To even be in a festival during, we're still in the pandemic with mitigated amount of films yeah. and things being canceled. So we're just so happy that we are at a festival and well, a great one. Dude, you have to come back because I feel like I'd love we, just, to. we just scratched the surface and there's so much more to add. And dude, I, I, I love you as a human now. And I feel like I've known you forever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, two final questions, man, because I, sure. I always try to bring these for the actors and the artists listening to all the young marks out there that are wide eyed and don't live in a New York or LA and don't have celebrity parents or, you know, and, and really want to get into this thing, you know, any words of wisdom you might have for them. There's always a way you can do it. Like your passion will inform you. If you're passionate enough about you, about it, you're going to do it. So there's no point ever thinking you're going to quit because you can't help it. And that was what happened with me. I couldn't help it. And I had no money, no connections, no one near me, completely broke. I grew up broke, like never had any, there's no reason I should be an actor or working in LA. It, there's no reason for it to be happening. You can do it because you must do it if you love it enough. And if you don't love it enough, it's okay to go do something else that you love yeah. more. Pick yeah. the thing you love the most and don't stop doing it because you will be rewarded and then you will be unrewarded. And then you will be rewarded. <laughs> a series of high highs and low lows. And that's, yeah. the, that's the juice. So you yeah. just keep going. Just keep going. The only way you can fail is by not doing it. That's awesome, man. I love that. And and obviously, as you said, you know, that's so cool that you got your thing in Fantasia. But it's been a dark time. And we're still sort of in this pandemic. And it looks like it might get possibly weird again. What's been keeping you sane and inspired, man? Um, honestly, my love of film and, 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 uh, and literature and my family. And you know what? I'll tell you this. When I, I'm so lucky to have a job and go shoot 61st Street, but it was a year. It was a year off from finishing season two of City on a Hill till now. And when I went away and I shot and I love doing what I'm doing, the days I had off, I just miss my family. And with what's going on right now, it's like, just enjoy it because one day it's going to be gone anyway. Yeah. And 
just enjoy the people that you love as much as it's boring, probably (laughs) just enjoy it. And if, and the other things you love, do what you have to do to feel great. That is ethical. And if it's like, I shouldn't watch another movie. I shouldn't eat another burger. Just do it. It's a tough time. It's going to pass. Do what you got to do right now to get through it. Amen, brother. There's nothing else I could say. Blue Bayou, the righteous Mark O'Brien taking over the world. Coming back for round two. I love you, brother. Thank you for everything. Right back at you, man. Thank you All so right, much. All right, man. Talk soon, dude. Thank you from the bottom Take of my Take care. Heart. All right. Be well, brother. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.